This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. All right, guys. We're a blessing this morning to see many different stages of, of life and commitments of baptism. Uh, with Nikki this morning to see these graduates and all their accomplishments, to see families desiring to dedicate their children to the Lord. And we as a church family, we do have a responsibility as well to come alongside these people. Church works together. We are a body, not separate pieces split all about. And so when we see people make professions of faith through baptism, when we see people stepping into new and exciting periods of life, when we see young parents dedicating their, their children, this is a room full of all kinds of wisdom and discernment that can be shared. And may our prayer be that we do share that and come alongside of each other. So praise God for those things. If you could turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 7. So I was considering this morning where we could turn Within the scriptures, uh, my mind immediately gravitated towards uh, this text about walking wisely. Our focus this morning is, is going to be around, as we go through day-to-day life, being aware that there are dangers of darkness which surround us, and making sure that we are clinging tightly to the truth of Jesus Christ and seeing him as our sufficient Savior and Lord, and that he is better than anything that the darkness can put in front of us. So let me read. Chapter 7, we'll just begin today by reading verse 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you, Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Let's pray. Father God, as we gather here this morning, I just think back to the words of that song we just sang, we so need you. Lord, every single one of us in this room is so, so prone to wander. Many of us could immediately account times in our lives where we have wandered and we've had to taste the bitterness of those decisions. But Lord, we rejoice and the salvation that is found in you, the forgiveness that is found in you, the grace and the mercy. And Lord, may it be the case in this room today that it would be seen that our delight is in you. That when faced with the lures of darkness of this world that we would say, Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. Jesus is king. Lord, if there is any 
element of darkness within this room that is undealt with, if there is any distraction in this room that would draw attention away within myself included, remove it. That your word, which is powerful, may pierce forth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I was thinking the other day, this month, Brittany and I's daughter, Karis, turns two years old. It was like that. Everybody always told me when I became a parent, they was like, oh, you better enjoy it because it's going to go quickly. And that's true. It has uh, gone very quickly. But it's been interesting. You know, we're, we're getting towards those toddler stages now, which I love the toddler stages in a, in a lot of uh, points, but there's also the challenges that have come within the toddler stage. And I think part of that is, is amidst her little discovery and development of her own little will and drive, she sets her mind to something that she wants to do, right? You know, it used to be, you know, when they're real little and infants, they, you just hold on to them and they don't show much of that will and drive. They let you know if you have a need of something, they have a need of something. But now... She's setting her mind to things and has these moments where she wants to pull away from Brittany and I's hand. Now, for me in these times, now it may be, you know, we go, we have a park down the street from our house. And it may be we're at the park and she's going up the play equipment and I realize, whoa, she is way too high. And I'm looking at the dangers which surround her. I'm like, boy, there's a gap in the, in the fencing right there. She's going to trip over that. I got, and I'm the parent that's crawling through the tunnels, holding on to her hand, you know, not letting her get by. Now, the other thing is the road in front of the house. You know, she gets now where if our car is parked on the street, she'll get a mind of her own and just kind of start wandering towards the road. And I have to go over and tell her, you know, honey, no, it's dangerous. Now, for her, she feels me pulling at her and she does what? She wants to, no, daddy, no. No, I want it, I want it, I want to do this. But I see the danger that she does not see. I see the gap in the fencing at the top of the playground equipment, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I could, I'm, I'm picturing what could happen here. I'm seeing the cars that go way too fast down our little residential street, and I'm seeing, I got to keep her out of the road. You know, Brittany and I know that she's not ready, nor is she capable to really grasp and understand these circumstances and these situations, but we want to teach her in a healthy way the dangers that exist so that she can have a healthy fear and an understanding of them. We desire to see her heed our warnings. We trust that over time she'll begin to understand what mom and dad is saying is right. There is danger here. This is a situation that I don't want to get close to I want her to hold tight to us. I don't want her to run aimlessly or recklessly too close to risky circumstances which could harm her little life. I want her to cling tight to daddy, right? You know, this morning, with this, what we're going to be looking at, you know, whether we realize it or not today, every single day that you and I get out of bed and our feet are hitting the floor, you and I are experiencing dangers much like that as well. 
we're going about our day-to-day life. Maybe even like Kara, she's not running towards the road thinking, oh, there may be a car there. She sees something completely different and she's going for it. She's on the play equipment. She's having fun and having the time of her life, not seeing the potential danger there. Us in this room, whether we realize it or not, unfortunately, many of us don't realize it, every single day we are facing things, elements of darkness that are trying to rob you and me of our joy. Or for some of us in the room, that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, keeping you from seeing the joy that is found in Christ, lulling you to sleep. Now, the text that we're looking at today depicts the potential danger that is out there very well. Proverbs chapter 7. Now, as we look at this proverb, I think there's going to be a few things that we see here. Now, first, it must be noted that the warning given in this text from a father-like figure is given in regards to adultery and the temptation to sexual promiscuity. But I want to make this note. Though this text specifically references adultery, what it actually shows is the pathway of many different cases where the devil could be seeking to lure and draw us away, whether it be through adultery, whether it be through envy, whether it be through pride, whether it be through anger. He is seeking to rob us of joy. And what this is going to paint for us today is first, it's going to paint to us the pathway to freedom, which is going to be a call to abide in Christ. When we face the lures of darkness, you and I don't have the strength to face it alone. We try, but we fall down. We fall short. We fall into sin. We get overwhelmed by temptation. We're going to see the call to hold tight to the truth. And then we're going to see pain in which, in my opinion, when I look at the scriptures, when we begin to process how temptation attacks, how the devil tries to lure us away, I think Proverbs 7 depicts about as well as anywhere how he functions how he wills and deals, how he's trying to deceive us and put something in front of us that says, this is the best. This is what you need. This is what will satisfy you. When we'll see at the end, after that lure has caught us in the mouth, we find very quickly what he promised to be beautiful is actually a deadly pursuit. But here's the beautiful thing before we jump in. I want you to hear this this morning. If you're in the room today and you're in the bondage to sin and darkness, I want you to know that there is an escape. That's the message today. Jesus Christ, what does it say in the book of John? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. John 8, 31 through 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're going to see a warning of darkness today, but I don't want you to leave here today with like a self-help guide of how you overcome temptation, overcome the devil's lure. I want you to know that the self-help guide is one thing. Cling to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Cling to Jesus, right? And that's what we're going to see this morning in the time together. Here's the, the first point that we're going to see today. You can follow along with me here on the screen, on the back of your bulletin. There's a place for you to take notes. Um, But the first thing that we're going to see this morning is of the satisfied soul. 
And what we're going to see is what oftentimes lures us away into the temptation, what lures us away into the elements of deception, is we have misplaced satisfaction. We're not living satisfied in Jesus, and we so easily try to find satisfaction in things that can't provide it. I know in a room this size, there's many of us in here trying to find satisfaction in what does not bring satisfaction. Verse 1 through 5 kind of paints this picture here, and we'll see, we'll read back through it again. He says, my son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. You know, as we look in Proverbs chapter 7, Proverbs being wisdom literature here, we see throughout, especially through the first seven, eight, nine chapters, it's like a father sitting down with his son or with his child and having a a passionate conversation. Now, there's many of you parents in here. And many of us can remember times where we sat down with mom or we sat down with dad and they told us like it was. It's not comfortable because sometimes it involved correction. It involved a mistake that we made where we needed to be redirected. It wasn't comfortable, but it was necessary. And what do they always say? It's like, and I've learned that as I've become a father, you know, I, I give Karis a consequence and I tell her, Karis, I'm giving you this consequence because I love you. And the child's like, but why do I have a consequence? right? We know that the Father knows best. We know here that the truth, the words that is talking about here, I want you to picture this as we go through it. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the satisfaction. He's the one that we cling to. And it says here, this Father is giving these warnings. In seven, this is the fourth and final warning that the Father gives to the Son in regards to adultery. Staying away from sexual promiscuity. This is the tenth appeal overall of direction and wisdom that he's providing for this child. And it's all marked climactically here, given through seven, chap- chapter 7, verse 6 through 23, of a young man who waywardly follows after the darkness, not attentive to the direction of truth. And you can picture it the father sitting down saying, Hey, this is the way it is. This is the truth. You must cling to this because the Father knows it will spare him from the danger. If we were to start at the end of this text of chapter 7, we see the danger is death. The danger isn't just, oh, I misstepped. Oh, you know, I just took the, I made the wrong choice. No, sin, when it's given out its full extension, leads to what? Death. He wants his child to say, don't mess around with it. Don't play games, right? The Father shows here, you see up here on the the screen, the necessity, the urgency, and the intimacy of how these words are to be handled. You see the element of necessity as he talks about keep these words, hold on to them, treasure them, bound them, kind of tying them around your finger, giving it in an exterior way for you to be reminded of it, but not just to be reminded of it on an exterior sense, but also in an an interior sense. It says, write it on the tablet of your heart. Now, uh, this isn't talking about like hanging a chalkboard around your neck and writing it down, which in that time could have happened. I truly believe this is talking about internalize this. It needs to matter. And I love it because as it goes on there, it talks about it in a familial sense. It says, treat it as if it's your sister 
or as if it call upon insight, as it says in verse 4, as if it is an intimate friend. And there's two results we see that happens here. If I keep the word, it leads to what? Verse 2 says, keep the commandments and it leads to life. This isn't just a passive, you know, um, entity that, well, I could take it or leave it. No, we keep it because it leads to life. There's only one way that leads to life. I said it at the beginning. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Today, may we realize and understand it's not an optional kind of thing. No, Jesus is the pathway to truth. He is the one, as the end of verse 2 says, that we should keep as the apple of our eye, right? Write it upon the tablet of the heart. Bind it around the finger. Treasure it. Keep it. And what does it say it'll do? Leads to life, and it keeps you from who? From the adulteress. And yet again, we see it here in regards to sexual promiscuity, but for us this morning, we can understand that in itself, but in the essence far deeper, it keeps us from darkness. You cling tight to truth, you abide in Christ, you find life. You try to wander away, you quickly are met, as we're going to see, you're quickly met with death. Darkness thrives where there is little depth, where there is little focus, and where there is little satisfaction. If you're living life casually, if you're biblically illiterate, which means your Bible is sitting on a shelf somewhere, you, you rarely spend time delving into his words, you're not being discipled and you're not discipling anyone else, you're not being obedient to the commands of the Lord, don't expect to bear fruit. Don't expect to bear fruit. If your Bible is collecting dust, don't be surprised if your life begins to collect dirt. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We must be rooted in the Lord. That's what it looks like to keep, to abide. John 15, 5 I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We're not abiding in him. There is no fruit. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can you and I walk in a way that displays purity and righteousness and holiness? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. We're crying out to God each day when our feet at the floor. God, I know I'm prone to wander. That's that song, Lord, I need you. When temptation comes knocking, may your grace be more to me. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The message for this first part is simple. Actively abide. Actively abide. Are you actively abiding within Christ? Cling to him. Here's the, the second point that we see here this morning, and this is in regards to verse 6 through 9. For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night in darkness. So he goes from giving this call and sit down with his son saying, abide in truth, hold tight to it, hold fast. And now he almost enters into this, this narrative, right? 
he's giving a depiction of a young man that he says lacked sense that wandered into the pathway of darkness. He's going to give an account of this is what happens if you don't abide. He's going to show how quickly and how easily we can be absolutely overwhelmed. Most of us in here, we think, well, I can never do this. I would never do that. I'm a pretty good person. In our flesh, we are nothing. John 15 says it. He just said, apart from me, you are absolutely nothing, right? We're going to see why we must cling so tight because we're out of our pay grade when we're trying to walk in our own strength. And we see it here beginning with with verse 6 as he gives this account. You kind of picture this person that's got a bird's eye view, right? He's got a bird's eye view. He's looking out over the horizon and he sees a young man. It's kind of like I was sharing about Karis at the beginning. I, I look and I see things that she doesn't see. He's kind of, as the father figure here, he's saying, I looked out and I saw this young man. What does he say? He was among the simple. And it says there, he was a young man that was lacking sense. What was he doing? He was walking aimlessly into the lair of darkness. He was caught in a state of casual mindlessness And what we're going to see happen is he was quickly ushered into the promise of pleasure, dark devices of the evil one, and it was going to lead to a dark defeat. As he looks out and he says the young man lacks sense, thinking about him being simple-minded. If you look here in the original language, it talks about him being open-minded, and open-minded in the chorus where he has no real landing spot. He's just kind of aloof. He's going out for a casual stroll. He's living life with no purpose whatsoever. This is painted to be a picture of someone that's gullible, right? We all know gullible people in our life. We can play practical jokes on them and they think it's real and we get a good hoot out of it. Um, But this is a kind of gullible that's not getting a good hoot out of it, right? This is a a gullible that's going to lead to a, a very, very sharp and harsh fall. As it goes on there, you know, as we kind of develop this picture, a person walking without purpose, strolling along casually without resolute directive. What I wrote down here is an aimlessly airheaded person. When we're living for ourselves, when everything is about us, when we're drifting from the truth, that's what we gravitate towards. It's just the nature of it, right? Now, Aimlessness breeds waywardness. If we're in here this morning and we're living our life without aim and purpose spiritually, we will casually drift into waywardness. And here's the thing about darkness. Darkness opportunistically fixates upon the vulnerability of the drifting mind, seeking to capitalize on any moment or space of sinful indiscretion. What begins as a casual drift quickly becomes a dangerous dance with darkness that our inquisitive flesh is going to undiscerningly gravitate towards. Don't dabble with mindlessness. As I think about this point, the dangerous drift, it is so easy to drift in our culture today. We spend our time on our phones, we spend our time in front of the TV. So much of what entertains us today is mindless. And we fill our homes with it, we fill our minds with it, and we wonder why things go awry. 
He capitalizes on mindlessness. He capitalizes on aimlessness. We must live within devotion. For the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Proverbs 1, 32-33. The simple are killed by turning away. Complacency of fools destroys them. Are we living complacent this morning? Are you living in simple-mindedness? Listen to truth and dwell secure. Here's the, the third thing that we see this morning. This is beginning in verse 10 and stretches all the way through verse 20. I'm going to read all of this quickly. It says, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now on the street, now on the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens, with Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon, he will come home. The evil one is a predator. And he is a predator that will pursue. We see here, representative of the way the devil seeks to target and attack the hearts and minds in a very opportunistic manner, full of seduction and allure and masked within deception. You know, it's interesting here. He wasn't setting out to meet trouble, but trouble met him, right? He wasn't setting out to meet trouble, but trouble met him. It was dressed in a way that captured his attention. You see, her speak in, in such a way that just displays this essence of, of just darkness, an essence of, uh, that appeals to the senses, right? Something that brings his eyes gravitating towards what he has to offer, making it seem as if this is the best option, making it seem as if this is what I need most. I almost picture here a predatory animal. You think if you're watching National Geographic or shows on TV where what does the predator do? The predator tries to find the isolated one. The predator tries to find the one that has gravitated away from the crew, the weak, the vulnerable. When we distance ourselves from truth, when we get to the point where we think I can live life in my own strength, the fall will come quickly. The evil one is waiting opportunistically as a predator. And it's interesting here as well. She is giving offering after offering after offering after offering. And is he interjecting at all? He's not interjecting at all. We see no words. We hear nothing from him. He stands with wide eyes that are glazed over due to the drunkenness of self-consumption finding his flesh captivated and the allurement intoxicating. He's being drawn away. This is a picture of us. Each and every one of us in this room has encountered moments in life where we have been drawn into temptation. We are offered with it. We get to this point where we maybe have not been of a sober-minded estate and we become captured by it, right? It becomes too easy 
to just turn down. We must have it, right? He's trying to capitalize on it, make it seem as if it could be our ultimate joy. You know, the schemes of the devil seek to capture our attention, conflict our ability to reason, captivate our senses, and convince us of the innocence of the promised pleasure. That's what happens here. He says, my husband's, she says, my husband's gone. It won't be all that bad. I've been waiting for you. I've prepared. You can fill in the blank within our lives, right? Perhaps it is an element of lust where you're up late at night and entertaining things on a computer screen that you shouldn't be entertaining. Perhaps it could be with anger and you look at someone and you say, that person deserves it and I'm going to let them have it. It could be with envy while you're strolling through social media and you're looking at other people's lives and you're self-loathing. You're saying, I just don't have enough and I want more. It come, could come in pride where you think, I want to take the forefront. It makes it seem as if it is the answer when in all in all it is not. The ability to discerningly resist will be seen as our devotion and satisfaction in Christ deepen. What's the call? The call is to be sober-minded. We look in verse 21 through 23 as we continue on here. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. We see now a passionate persuasion. You know, it's, it's interesting here. You almost see like the, the mousetrap picture pop into your head of the cheese being on the trap and the mouse coming and thinking, boy, I got dinner. And he gets dinner, right? But that trap gets him. He paints this picture by using these elements of, of animalistic dynamics. Talks about an ox, an ox being drawn to a slaughter, the stag being caught fast, a bird rushing into a snare. It's kind of interesting to break those down. You think about an ox displaying strength. You hear people say strong as an ox, an animal that shows great strength, right? You look at a stag, a deer, something that would show just almost beauty and it stands out and it's something that also displays strength. You think about a bird being swift, should be able to get around things, but what happens to each one? They get trapped. It comes crashing on their head. Doesn't matter how strong we think we are, doesn't matter how gifted we think we are. And it doesn't matter how savvy we think we are, right? We find ways to reason ourselves around the offerings of darkness and make it seem like it's okay when it's not. Crushed, coming down upon the head. The moment we entertain the thought of sin's offering, we must realize that we have then signed the check to sin's entry. If we've gotten to the point where we entertain it, we're on the porch and we've got a leash around our neck and we're about to go right through the door, right? Jesus talks about it within the Gospels where he says, you know, if you're lusting after someone in your mind, it's the same as committing adultery. If you're angry with someone in your mind, it's the same as committing murder. We can't even entertain the thought. Here's the thing. You're going to be presented with temptation. You're going to be presented with the offerings of darkness but your response will be denoted by what your life is defined by, right? 
Though sin may sometimes seem like a knee-jerk decision, it can always be traced back to a laundry list of fleshly footprints which brought us to that spot. Most of us think, how did I get here? I didn't think I would enter into this sphere of deception. I didn't think I'd make these mistakes. And we get so caught up in the moment that we miss that laundry list of decisions where we said, well, my walk with the Lord's not this important. We see a laundry list of idolatries that would be coming in that trail behind us, right? We see where is our devotion? Where is our heart set? We must not entertain darkness. I love Psalm 16, 4 through 5. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. David says, I'm not going to chase after the offerings of darkness. I'm not even going, what does he say? I'm not even going to bring it to my lips. He's saying, I'm not going to entertain it. I know it's there, but I'm not going to entertain it. You know why he's able to say that? Because the next verse says, he holds my lot. He is my chosen portion. You need to ask yourself today, when you are met with that opportunity to wander off course, will you have the self-control and sober-mindedness to say, Jesus is my portion. I'm satisfied in him. This very thing that's trying to attack me, he has defeated. Why would I cave into it? Right? A passionate persuasion. Here's the, the last point. Verse 24 through 27. So we've seen here, the father says, hold on to the truth, son. Don't take your eyes off of it. Delight within it. Hold tight. Then he gives this example of the, this wayward one, the one that has fallen away, and now he kind of snaps back to it. And he tells the son, this is what happened. He says, now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her past, for many a victim as she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. A deadly defeat. What may shine beautiful to the eyes is behind the veil, dark and deadly to the core. We must have the sober-mindedness. We must heed the warning. Abiding in the truth is not a matter of preference. This is an important piece to get. It's not a matter of preference amidst a multitude of options. Abiding in truth is a matter of life amidst a multitude of deceits. Too much of us are treating our walk with the Lord to be casual, optional, and on our time. If it doesn't fit our schedule, if it doesn't fit our agenda, if it doesn't fit our family plans, we'll put it on the back burner. Don't be surprised if that becomes precedent within your life if darkness comes knocking quickly, right? I mean, licking its chops. Truth is necessity. James 1, 14 through 16 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And I make that the same call to us today. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Take away for today. We must understand we're going to face the elements and the voices of wisdom and folly daily, and we will show our greatest discernment when we walk humbly, understanding our own weakness. 
or when our feet hit the ground every morning, we say, Lord, I need you. I cry out to you. We must submit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today? Apart from his strength, apart from his finished work, we are nothing and we are worth nothing. And we must live satisfied within his provision. If you have claimed Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you living in obedience to what he has called you to? Are you living in satisfaction of what he has brought forth for you, right? I think back to the original illustration I was sharing about about Karis there at the beginning. She is getting a will and a mind of her own, and she does have times where I have to grab her hand, and she doesn't like when I grab her hand, but I still love there's certain times where she realizes she is a little uncomfortable, where she's not sure. Typically, it may be here at church. It happened the other night after youth. Some of the youth were coming up and trying to talk to her, and she got in my arms, and she ducked her head onto my shoulder, and she didn't even look at the person in the eye. She was uncomfortable, so who did she cling to? She clung to daddy, right? And I thought about that picture. I was like, man, church, friends, that's what we got to be like every single day when we get out of bed. We got to say, Lord, I need you. I know I am not cut out for this. I know that there are offerings out there that are too much for me to handle. And we cling to him. And we find satisfaction with him. And here's what I want you to realize today. I know there's some of us in here, you may be struggling with sin this morning. You may be going through a repetitive motion where you feel like the devil has been beating me up. It may be in regards to sexual promiscuity and adultery. And you've been going through the cycle and you say, man, I I keep taking the bait and I know it's not right. I call you today, repent. Come to Christ. And guess what? He is faithful and just to forgive. You may be struggling with anger, envy, and you might just be taking the bait that the devil offers every single time and saying, why do I keep doing it? Pause for a moment and look back at the trail. And I guarantee you the trail will go back to you're not living satisfied in Jesus. You live satisfied in Jesus, suddenly the things of the world, what does the old hymn say? Will grow strangely what? strangely dim in the light of his glory and and grace. Those are good words. (laughs) Those are good words. What beauty we find within his grace that makes those things that the evil one is putting forth strangely dim. I call you today to be satisfied in him. I remind you and me today, we are not enough to face his offerings, ourself and our own strength. And if you've been doing that, I stand before you today with good news, and that's this last verse. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You may feel helpless this morning. You may feel like you've dug a hole that's too deep for yourself to get out of. You may feel beat up. But I can tell you with confidence based on what Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And what this text here that Paul says, he disarmed the one that's putting this aim on us, right? He disarmed him. Those things don't have to have final say in our life anymore. We must cling to Christ as our satisfaction. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we got to study your word. Lord, I know it's heavy stuff. Lord, we talk about sin and we talk about darkness and 
So many of us in here are so prone to wander. Some of us in here are like that young man, wandering away, taking the bait. And there's some of us in here, we've had some hard falls and hard circumstances where we've experienced that. But by your grace, God, you have, man, you have just held on to us. But for some of us in here this morning, Lord, you are saying, I got to repent. I got to take seriously a life of devotion because it's a matter of life. It's a matter of life and death. Lord, speak to people and convict people this morning in a way that I can't do it, but only your word can. I pray these things in your name. Amen. As we spend time in this last song, I just challenge you. I can't make anything happen in any of your life, but I would call you. Maybe it is today you need to repent of sin. It is today where you need to look and you need to say, you know what, I have been taking that bait and I now see it for what it is. And I know that there's a Savior ready to forgive me. Maybe you need to sit down where you are, come here to this altar and say, I repent. Maybe it is today you realize I am biblically illiterate. My Bible collects dust on the shelf. I'm not being discipled and I'm not discipling anybody else and I'm not obeying his commands. Maybe today you need to say, I need to get serious about being devoted. I need to be discipled. Maybe you need to come and and lay that down before the Lord this morning. And maybe it is today you need to say, I want to live in Christian community. I want to be accountable. A good guardrail of us from being drawn away and lured into darkness is to be in Christian community. Look around this room. Look at all these people, all the experiences we've had, all the wisdom that exists in this room. It should be shareable. That's the way we should function. Maybe today you would say, I've been living in isolation and now I see the danger of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live in Christian community. As the Lord leads, you respond. Don't ignore it. It's not optional. This is a matter of life and death. Call out. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 